from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philly. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we've got the dream team in studio today, Dion and Michelle. And we're taking your calls right now. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So if you've always wanted to get through, ask a question, give somebody a tip, have a comment, or simply disagree with us, we'd like to hear from you. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So today is all about how will I know? How will I know? And it's, no, this is not a show about Whitney Houston. This is a show about all of those tough job search questions like, How will I know when I should walk away from an offer? How will I know if it's time to return to school? How will I know if my new boss is going to develop me? So all of those questions that you're kind of pondering in your mind, we want to help you with today on Career Talk. So if you're just tuning in, get in queue, 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. Because we look forward to talking with you. And today, to help us with this topic, we welcome back Mike Minoski, who is a recruiter and talent acquisition leader in Silicon Valley. And he has hired over a thousand people in a variety of different roles. He's also certified by the International Coaching Federation, and he leads career programs right here in Wharton. He is on Career Talk today to share his insider secrets from being on the other side of the desk and, of course, asking or excuse me, answering all of those how will I know questions that you have in mind. Mike, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Don. Thank you. So, okay, so let's start with one for you because you've obviously hired over a thousand people. That's that's quite a few. So. When you think about the how will I know, how will I know it's the right candidate? How will I know this is the right person to hire? If you had to maybe give our listeners two tips, like this is what I'm looking for as a recruiter, what are those tips? The tips are, the tips are really basic, but it's a great question too. The, the first thing is, are you competent? Can you demonstrate to, to me and to the hiring team that I have that you know how to do the vast majority of what we want you to do? And the second part of it is, are you going to fit with the team? And the best way to explain that is uh, a joke. I make this not a joke. I only hire people I want to have lunch with. I want to know that this is a person that, you know, I'm going to spend a third of my life with. I'm going to enjoy it, that they're going to be there when when it's not a good day. So likability, just kind of putting the umbrella word on that. Yeah, exactly. So how how does one communicate likability in an interview? Well, I want to hear success stories. And one of the success stories is how, do you, how have you worked with teams in the past? And it's almost easier to tell a story that, that demonstrates not doing that, which is if I'm interviewing somebody and they start telling me how lousy their last job was and it was always everyone else's fault, um, you know, I can understand being in tough situations, but I want to hear 
you know, it was a tough situation, but I got through it. I don't want to hear it was a tough situation and they were all obnoxious. <laughs> That's not going to work. So, um, so you're talking about being humble? Is that? I think being humble, you know, being accountable. Accountable. Uh, you know, being uh, being open to recognizing, being open to taking criticism, um, and being a good communicator. You know, being able to share tough news um, is is kind of an art. I've seen a lot of people at every level, and I know you have too, that really struggle with saying, hey, we've got a problem, and I, we need to talk about it. So that's that's a tough one because, I, you know, as I've interviewed a lot of people as well, and sometimes communication is not the core skill set. Um, and, and, you know, so people come in and they've got great competencies and maybe they're even likable, but communication is not skill set. But if it's not required for the job, is that okay? You mean communication? Right. So maybe you're you're going to be coding all day in, um, in the back room. Maybe you're going to be... Uh, you know, kind of doing something and you're, you're not working with teams. I mean, what if you're not a good communicator in the interview? You know, I think that it's okay to say you're not. But at some point, coders have to talk to other human beings. And, you know, I'm, I think you know that at, at times in my career, I've, I've managed engineering teams. Um, you have to be able to at least communicate, here's where I'm at, here's what's going on, here are some concerns about where we're, you know, what we're doing. To me, if you can't communicate at least those three elements, and again, I don't, you don't have to be artistic at it or, or you know, gifted, but those are at least three things you've got to be able to communicate. And it, it can be in writing if necessary, but if you can't share that kind of information, I, I'd have real concerns. So, yeah, so, so point for the listeners is that you, you may not be in a role where you're going to be speaking in front of dozens of people or trying to influence people or persuade them, but it's pretty critical, regardless of the job you're going for, to be able to demonstrate those skills, which brings me to another question, Mike, which I'm going to come back to because we're going to take a caller, but how can you work with a, a career coach to improve that skill? But we'll come back to that because we're going to go to Brian in New Hampshire. Brian, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hi. So, um, Dr. Don, I wanted to ask you the same question I asked you on Twitter. I knew you tweeted was, me. Uh, I knew you looked familiar, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for tweeting me. Hey, at Dr. Don Graham, if you want to see Brian's tweet. Yeah, so my question was about measuring your job search success. And by that, I mean when you're in the middle of a job search, there's very little that's in your control except how you spend your time. You're not in control of if you get job offers. You're not in control of when you get called in for interviews. So um, my question was how do you know and how do you measure when your job search is being appropriately uh, performed, and by that, how many hours should you probably shoot to spend in each of the buckets, like networking and uh, applying for jobs, uh, things like that? Yep. So your question is, how will I know if my job search is working? And obviously, the the answer that most people are going to give is because you actually get a job offer. <laughs> But I, I get that's not what you're asking, Brian. So what are those signs that the job search is working? And just as a kind of measure, 
usually once you figure out what you want to do, and this depends on level and if you're changing careers or if you're trying to relocate, but it probably will take a good four to six months to land a job. And that's that's due to a lot of factors. The speed of hiring, which tends to be very slow, and also the, the factors of trying to do multiple interviews and they're trying to get candidates in and also finding a job that you feel is a good fit for you because you may interview in a lot of companies and decide this is not the right place for me. So four to six months is, is kind of my general rule if you don't have any of those other major factors. So yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It's not a fun thing to be doing. And how do you know if what you're doing is working? So, Mike, what are, what are your thoughts from the other side of the table for Brian? Well, you know, it. first of all, you can't see it on radio, but my head was nodding with everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, from the coaching side, those numbers are absolutely relevant. Um, from, from our side, I wish our side did better. You know, I think Brian's asking a really important question is, you know, I, I feel like I'm going through all the motions, but I have no idea where I'm at. Um, it's very appropriate to go back and say, where are we? You know, if you need to know from, from you know, the, the companies you're talking about, if, can you give me an update if you haven't heard anything for a week or two? I think that's very appropriate. Um, one element I'd bring up that's both from, you know, the recruiting, you know, the recruiting leader side of the desk and also coaching is, we tend to think that the research side of this is not working. In other words, the, the, the plowing through, the identifying people on LinkedIn, the, the you know, doing some online job search, the, the referral connection. That's actually, I think, some of the hardest work in a job search. So how, and, do you, how do you know if that's working then, Mike? I mean, because it, it, I would say one thing, Brian, is if you're, you're meeting more people, your network is expanding, you're getting to those people who are in positions to hire you. And that can take some time, as Mike's pointing yeah. out. It can take a lot of time because, you know, networking is about relationships and relationships don't happen in one conversation. No, I think that's, that's so critical. Um, I think, I, I don't know if you and I have had a chance, I shared this with you recently, but I spent a day at one of the largest tech companies, very popular tech company, um, to ask to ask these kinds of questions. And, you know, how do you guys handle people that are um, just applying online versus being referred in? Um, it's striking. It, 30% of their hires come from referrals. And I had a, someone who used to work for me as one of their engineer, one of their recruiting leaders, drew me a flowchart. And the flowchart shows that if you apply online, a human being doesn't get involved until about halfway through. If you apply by referral, human beings are touching it at every point because you're a VIP. So I guess that goes back. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say. So, I mean, I think that's a point we talk about a lot on Career Talk is that you want to be um, you want to have that high touch experience. You want to know what's going on. And Brian, that's one way we can answer your question is that if you're going through a referral source, one of the key benefits to that is that you actually do know how you're doing because they can tell you they can say, well, we're, we're interviewing a number of people and you're on the list or the position has been frozen. So unfortunately, we're not you know, going to be able to to fill this anytime soon, so you should move on. And I think that's one of the biggest things because that unknown, that ambiguity is so tough to deal with when you're in a job search. So the referrals and going through the, the company that way reduces a lot of that ambiguity because you have that firsthand information, Brian. So, so tell us a little bit about um, where you are in the job search, how long you've been doing it, and, and what's been working and what hasn't. So I'm six months into my job search right now. Um, I had a layoff from a high-tech company back in February. 
And um, and so recently I've had three interviews with three different companies that all went extremely well. Two of them, I would argue, could not have gone better. And one is being held up because of um, uh, they're trying to get more funding so that position won't actually be able to be um, paid for until they get that extra funding. Another one, I have no idea what's going on. They've just all of a sudden gone dark. Um, and then the third one, I just had uh, a great interview yesterday. So, um, so yeah, I'm hoping that all this will go through and, um, you know, hopefully I'll get a job offer very soon. But with respect to my uh, question, uh, more so I, I was curious about should I be spending, say, a third of my time networking, a third of my time on LinkedIn, and a third of my time applying to job offers or, you know, that that's or, excuse okay. me, replying to, to job ads. I'm thinking more like how do I break down the number of hours each week and if I hit these, you know, numbers in each bucket, you know, uh, number of hours in each bucket, is, is that the way I should be trying to measure my success week to week? Yep, really good question. Cause a lot of, and, of course, if, you know, Brian, everybody's different, but here's a couple of things that for those of you out there thinking how should I be structuring my job search, you should be thinking about. So what I'm going to say is – Obviously, if you're working full time, your ability to spend 40 hours a week on this is not going to work. But whatever time amount of time you have, I would say the majority of that you want to be spending networking. Um, Here's the deal about online. Do people get jobs online? Of course they get jobs online. What we find is it depends on the type of job and the level. So so there was just something that came out recently that said if you're kind of in the 60000 to 70000 range um, or, or below that, that online can still be a viable source. And what I would say is maybe spend 20 to 25% of your time doing that, but, or I should say and, Follow up and find somebody in that company who can be that shepherd that Mike was talking about because this is going to reduce the ambiguity and make sure that your resume doesn't get caught up in an applicant tracking system and get lost and never get seen. So sure, you can apply online. It's a great place to see who's hiring. You never know if those jobs are real or filled, if there's a freeze, and that's kind of the drawback of applying online, but that's one of the things that I think you should be spending your time on. And then before all of this, making sure that your resume is great, your LinkedIn is, is strong, you're out there on LinkedIn making new connections, doing your research. So if I had to put a time frame on it, I would say you'd be spending about 60% of your time out there networking, maybe 20% researching and 20% applying online. But that's, that's like I said, general rule of thumb. Everybody's going to be slightly different. Does that help, Brian? Yeah, sixty percent networking. That's that's much more than uh, than I would have uh, expected. That's much more than people do, and and honestly, I'd I'd even venture to bump it higher. But here's why I'm excited yep. for you, Brian. I just have to say this because I'm I'm kind of giddy about it. You're at the six month point, which is when things start to happen. And here's what's going to happen. And this is my this is my forecast. This is my my magic eight ball forecast here. This, you, you're, you're at a good place with three companies, three jobs, and you know one's on a little bit of a freeze. One is you said they've kind of ghosted you, and I want to make sure you reach out to them because if things went well, chances are 
that they're moving at a slow pace and they're not realizing how much anxiety that's calling that's causing you. So reach out. And then you just had a great interview this week. So what's going to happen is you're going to get two job offers around the same time and you're going to want to mishmash them together because one's going to pay higher and the other one's going to pay less, but it's going to be more interesting. Maybe you like the boss and you're just going to say, ah, how will I know which one to take? And that's when we want you to call us back on Career Talk and yeah. and ask us because you're so close, Brian. You're so close. I can feel feel it. Thank you so much for giving us a call. Best of luck. We look forward to hearing the good news. Hey, you can give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Mike Minoski, who is a recruiter and talent acquisition leader in Silicon Valley. We're going to go to Dan in Pennsylvania. Welcome to Career Talk, Dan. What's on your mind? Hi, Dawn. This is Dan. Um, I've been in the job search process for an executive role for a number of months now and would like some advice um, on how best to stimulate an interaction with exec recruiters that would perhaps impress upon them that there are things outside the black and white of what's in the job description that I as a leader can project into. So I guess in other words, what I'm saying is, is there's I've had a lot of interactions with exec recruiters who are clearly going through somewhat of a checklist. And does he have chemical manufacturing experience? Has he ever worked in an environment that uh, that has a clean room? I mean, so there's a lot of those little boxes that the recruiter seems to be wanting to check, but there seems to be lack of an opportunity for me to impress upon him or her that um, dynamic leader. Um, can do an executive job very successfully and bright enough to spin up with the nuances of the business in a short period of time. Such a perfect day to give us a call, Dan, because we have we have an executive headhunter yeah. right here. <laughs> so, so Mike, so, so Dan's got all these great qualifications, and he's he's getting kind of stuck in this checkbox of of you know, which sounds very transactional to me. I mean, very much, and and it. So I, I'm not I'm not going to slam the industry, but you know, a lot of times, um, recruiters are recruiters are only as good as the leaders behind them. Meaning that um, if the if the if the team that's hot, if the team doing the search, um, the leadership team behind the recruiter is saying, okay, they have to have clean room, they have to have this, they have to have that. The recruiter is literally just going to have blinders on. A really good question to ask. when you're a candidate for this is what's the problem they're trying to solve? What are the biggest problems they're trying to solve? Because I think Dan's asking a great question there. And then tell them how you solve that problem. Because the problem isn't that you've worked in a clean room. The problem is that they may have some manufacturing issues that uh, they're struggling with or they have some distribution or whatever the case is. Get to the higher level problem. Uh, get to the reason that that they need this person in there uh, to make things better. And once you know that, then you're in a position to really start dealing with the higher level. I'll I'll say this, though. By the time you're talking to a recruiter, that recruiter is talking to 10 other people. You know, the the, the art of this, you know, and I swear I sound like a broken record (laughs) with this, is how many people in the industry that you're going after have you proactively talked to? And you're hopefully going to catch them before they actually hire a recruiter. 
So one of the things, um, Mike, that I want to pull out of what you said that I think is so critical because it's it's not just executive headhunters; it's it's recruiters and corporations and everywhere. They Absolutely. they tend not to ask the right questions, and we as no. candidates assume we're going to go in and get asked the right questions that align with the competencies of the job and and the fit of the team and all these things. And I think we need to stop doing that. Stop right now assuming you're going to have a good interviewer or a good recruiter or somebody who who knows the job well enough to read between the lines and see how you could be a good fit. You have to be your own advocate. You have to know what you want to leave on the table in that interview regardless of the questions they ask you because otherwise they are just ticking boxes and and you know a lot of the recruiters don't even know the ins and outs of the job. They just do have this checklist. So Dan, you bring up a really good point, and I do want to stress that, that when you go to an interview, sometimes it's best to kind of ask those kinds of questions that pull them out of their checklist, like what what kind of problems are you trying to solve? Because then you can have a real conversation and it gets away from the transactional. Dan, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Great question. Hey, we're taking your calls all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you want more great advice, at Dr. Don Graham. And we are going to go to Joel in Arizona. Welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Joel? Hi, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, I just had a quick question, basically, like kind of what a uh, what the best scenario or what you what you think would be the best uh, thing for me to do. So basically, right now I am uh, I'm employed. I've been at a company for a few years. Uh, I like working there, and I think I'm going to be promoted in the next you know the next few months probably the next like, six months or so it seems like i, I should get uh promoted um the issue is that go the, joel i'm sorry i said yeah, the issues are is some uncertainty. go ahead sorry joel i was just i was just oh. celebrating for you uh okay sorry uh the issues are some uncertainty with the with the company we don't we're owned by a larger entity and we don't know if the company is going to stay where we are or if they're going to get moved in the next year or two so because there is that uncertainty, I've been kind of, you know, looking a little bit to see what's out in the job market where I am. And I've seen some, some opportunities that when I read the descriptions, I fit uh, a vast majority of the requirements very well. The issue is that I don't yet have that next job title, the one that I should be prom- promoted to in my current company. You know, they're, they're director-level opportunities, basically, but I don't yet have the director-level role, even though I have a lot of the experience. So my question is, if I apply to some of those, or what, what do you think would be better, applying to some of the opportunities or waiting till I got the director level of role at my current employment, and then it'd be more likely that I'd be able to to even be, con- be considered for got it. for a job that you know. I think I explained myself well. I think <laughs> yep. I think we got it. So so. The question is, how will I know? Should I wait and get that title so that it'll be easier to move to that that similar role in other companies, or should I go for it now, even though I haven't attained the title? So, Mike, what's your advice for Joel? I it's a great question, and it comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. You're kind of on that cusp between uh, I've got eighty percent of what they need. I'm missing this element. I'm I'm kind of this. I'd go for it. Um, and the reason is you might get some really interesting feedback that says, hey, we are looking for this, you know, uh, managerial experience that I, you know, uh, but we like everything technical. It's, what, what they're going to come down to is a case of, okay, Joel has the competence 
technically or the competence from the business side to be able to do this kind of work, but he has he led enough people in it? That may be where the rub is. But some companies, if they've got a really strong leadership team and, you know, Joel, you click with them, they might be more open to that. And I, I'm, I'm saying that from first-person experience. I have hired external people that you could really see were, were on the track, and our leadership team was strong enough to go, okay, you know what? This person can come in, do the job, and we can grow them. That's not typical. I want to be clear about that. Mm-hmm. But it is something that um, if you don't if you don't talk to them, you never know. Well, and I'm going to assume if Joel is on schedule to be promoted, that his company feels like he does have those skills. One of the things I was just thinking about as Joel was explaining his situation is assuming that the promotion will come with a salary bump. Mike, do you think that's worth waiting for? I'm. I definitely would want to get a clear picture because if if you are close, it you know getting that extra experience plus some extra you know some extra money, uh, that's that's terrific. So I'd almost want to do two things. I'd, I'd want to kind of do light exploration. I mean, I wouldn't you know spend the next two weeks writing your resume and you know hanging out hanging out in their parking lot of those other companies. But I I really like to see you know Joel like you were just saying getting a really clear picture of of what's what's there in front of you now. Um, and I think one of the good ways to do that, and I, I, in my coaching side, we talk a lot about this, is having an overt conversation about that, of saying, hey, what can I do to prepare for the next step? Mm-hmm. I think, and, the, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, and, 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 you know, what can you do to prepare for the next step within your company? It, irregardless of whether they, they, you know, they shift things around or move things, you want to be prepared. So what is, what is your leadership, what can they do to help you get ready for the next step? So the last thing I want to comment on this, because this is such an interesting situation now, like in the life of a career, six months isn't that long. So so, yeah, so getting the title and getting the salary might might put you in a better position to maybe negotiate and, and get noticed for different jobs. That being said, if you're at that stage where where you already have those skills and you have a great network, then maybe moving now is a good is a good idea. So of course, as we always say, we hate this answer that it depends, but I mean there are a lot of factors going on and I think I mean Joel, so I think a lot of people hesitate to make a change because they worry they're not going to be able to do the job and that tends to be the case. So if that's what's stopping you, go for it. Um, if you really believe that in your market and in your industry, the title and the salary is going to set you up for even better positions, then six months really isn't that long to wait. So Joel, thank you so much for giving us a call. Either way, it sounds like you're getting a promotion. So as I said earlier, woohoo! <laughs> Thanks for giving us a call on Career Talk 844 Wharton. That's 844 844- 942-7866. So, Valerie in Georgia, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Valerie? Thank you for having me here. Thank you for calling. I have a question. I am currently employed, and I actually like the work that I'm doing, and my pay is good. My employer is not a good person and is making a lot of poor decisions in our department that are... Uh, honestly borderline illegal and and he is uh he's i don't know that he's ever managed people before it's it's so uncomfortable that i'm willing to go and look for outside another job wow Uh, so so you like your work you like your pay you don't like your boss yeah and and it has to be pretty bad to to not like him that much so my question is i've already had one interview and of course my interviewer asked me why are you leaving 
I don't think it would be in my best interest to say because my boss is a terrible person. True. Um, so I'm wondering what would you say instead in true, that situation? True, true, true. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So you, you like a lot of things about this company. And, I mean, as as Mike will, will back up as well, I mean, your boss can make or break. And that's the number one people reason people leave their jobs. They don't leave their jobs. They leave their boss. So my first question before you even kind of jump ship is – is there any way to salvage this, Valerie? Is there any way to either move to a different supervisor or um, have a conversation, or is this just dead in the water? No, unfortunately, my boss is the CFO, so oh. I can't transfer. He's still oh, my no. boss. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, just wanted to make sure we checked. We checked that box. <laughs> so, okay. So, your your other question is: as you're interviewing and people ask why you want to leave, so how long have you been there, Valerie? Only six months. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So that makes it a little harder. You can't really say that I've I've reached the ceiling. I've done everything I can do in the six months. That's how awesome I am. Um, so okay. Um, here's my thought. And Mike, I I'm always I'm always uh, would love for you to weigh in. My thought is this: is that you know what people make mistakes. Sometimes you 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 go for a job and it's just not the right fit. Once you get in, either the job. Is different than you expected. Obviously, the people in this case are different than you expected. And it just doesn't work. If you have a history of solid uh, tenure at companies, and this is kind of one of those just blips in the system, I think that's what you can share in the interviews. You say, you know, I, my expectations for what this job was going to turn out to be, uh, you know, were different. And so now I'm looking for. So not dwelling on it, but basically just putting it out there that this, you know, was a mismatch and now you're looking to find something that's a match. Mike, what what are your thoughts? I'm I'm real close on what you're saying. The um what I'd love to hear and this kind of goes back to what we opened with is if you tell them, you know, the role the role as we initially defined it, I'm actually not doing that work. Um I'd be generic about that. I would also say I love the team. Um I love what the company does, but I just don't think the role is aligned to what we had originally discussed. So I'd be very generic about about that. And Don, I'd love your feedback on that too. But mm-hmm. um, but I would definitely emphasize there's a lot of positives there because I and I really like the way you did that when you when you started the call because that's telling me okay, this isn't a person who's disgruntled because it's just a, a terrible situation. It's she sees the positives in the people she's working with. She has you have a concern about the the operating method of the CFO, but I would just simply say hey, it just doesn't it. Uh, the role that I was hired for and the kind of work that I'm doing, it, it really isn't aligned, and it doesn't look like that's going to change. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about whether you were laid off, whether your your boss is terrible in Valerie in your situation, you're looking to leave, whatever the situation, the, the, the key is to give your next employer just enough information that they're like, wow, okay, that makes sense. Um, and not too much information that they want to kind of dig in or they start to see red flags. So finding that balance, which in this case, I think Mike said it very well, it's a sentence. And then you move on. And then you say, because my next question as a recruiter is, okay, well, how is my organization different? So you're going to want to follow that up with. And the reason I see, you know, this company being a good match is X, Y, and Z, because that's going to really solidify the answer for me, make it make sense and and make your answer uh valid in my eyes so so valerie good luck and um thank you for giving us a call on career talk 844 wharton 844-942-7866 if you are on hold we will be with you in just a moment but first we have to do our pre-break quiz quiz 
There's a quiz? Okay. 50% of people admit they regularly do this at the movie theater. 50% of people admit they regularly do this at the movie theater. Think you know 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And my hint is always it is PG-13, people. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Really 
Welcome back to Career Talk. I just want to sing that song, so it's, it's it's hard to kind of pull myself away from that. Hey, you are listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111, 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. We're here with the Dream Team, Dion, Michelle. We're taking your calls all hour, and we have special guest, Mike Minoski, who is a recruiter and talent acquisition leader in Silicon Valley, who's hired... Over a thousand people. Mike, where can people reach you if they'd like more information about you? So my website is MikeCoach.com. Mike, C-O-A-C-H.com. And uh, my phone number's there. Take calls. I, uh, to me, it's, my coaching is as much fun as my, my, uh, my recruiting leadership stuff because I love seeing people do great things. You sound like uh, you're in a room with a lion. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I uh, was unfortunately near... A flight line. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. And you have one of the easiest websites we've had on this show, MikeCoach.com. So, That's right. But thank you for spelling it anyway. Um, so we're talking about how will I know? How will I know job search situations? How will I know if I should return to school? How will I know if I should walk away from an offer? How will I know? Before we went to break, we did the pre-break quiz. And I'm not going to give you the answer, but I'm going to give it to you again in terms of the question 50 percent of people admit they regularly do this at the movie theater if you think you know 844 wharton 844-942-7866 and hint i've done this i still do this what are you gonna do all right we're gonna go to deborah in new jersey welcome to career talk hi deborah hey guys thanks for taking my call so here's my situation i am currently employed and happily employed, but thinking about what's next for me. And I came across another brand that I was really interested in learning more about um, for potential future career opportunities. I leveraged a current, co- I leveraged a former colleague who was able to get me um, and a conversation, arrange a conversation with the head of talent acquisition for the organization. We had a really nice 30-minute conversation. She really mostly talked, mostly described the culture for me and asked me a few very basic questions. Um, I thought the conversation went really well. She said to me, hey, you're going to love working here. She asked me about my relocatability, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the conversation, it was sort of like, hey, let's keep in touch with each other, which is great. After that conversation, I also was able to connect with somebody who works internally in the organization, Mm -hmm. who was also able to give me more information about the culture, but he also shared with me about some potential org changes and some potential future positions that might be coming up. I guess my question is, how do I circle back with or keep myself relevant with that talent acquisition person um, without there being an actual role posted or... Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. an actual job an actual job hosting mm-hmm. uh, Deborah when did you have this conversation um right before La- Labor Day okay so late August okay so late August and did they give you any indication of of when they might be in the hiring phase or, or any conversation about that no because there wasn't a specific role that we were talking about it was more of an informational cultural kind of a conversation okay so the question on the table is how will i know how to follow up or when to follow up um when there is no position so mike what what's your advice for deborah somebody who's on the the hiring side of the table right deborah first of all nice job that everything you've done is just spot on that's terrific um 
I would go back and actually let them know that, hey, after what I've heard, I, I am still very interested. Um, I'm also very comfortable exploring um, things that might be in the formation stage. In other words, you don't quite have the job description yet, but this team is looking for that. Um, let her, you know, you can let that recruiter know that, you know, hey, I, even if you're kind of in the formation point or you're still sort of learning more about this, more than comfortable to talk with anybody about that. Um, because what you're saying is, hey, I'm mature enough to understand that, you know, this role may not be right away, but I'm intrigued enough by the company that I'll have an early stage conversation. And to Mike's point, Deborah, I mean, you've gotten in before they have a job. And in some ways you're saying, okay, now what do I do? Now what I do, what I do? But this is how people get the best jobs, the most creative jobs, the most interesting jobs, because when that job becomes open, they're going to think of you and you're going to be the first person they call. Now, to Mike's point, you want to kind of stay in the loop, but that's that's how people get these jobs. And when others ask, you know, how would you even see that? Was it posted online? No, it wasn't posted online. And the other thing is if you don't have any competition, then you might be able to even negotiate a higher salary. So so when should Deborah um, follow up, Mike? So, so she should send the message and say, I'm open to discussions in the formation stage. And then, you know, when should she follow up again? So I would send a note this week, and then I would follow up within. I'd give yourself kind of at about an every 10 to 14-day cycle. You don't think that's too much? You don't think? Well, I'd say, I'd say send the note now, and then in about two weeks, just say, just popping in, just checking in. Um, if it's done unobtrusively, it's not, in my case and in, in my team's cases, we actually like that. Here's the thing. This, this recruiter went out and spent time with her. You know, a half an hour of interviewing somebody for a job that may or may not be there and to really just sort of give a cultural overview tells me that they see Deborah as somebody who's potentially valuable to the organization. So they want – they're interested in keeping up with her, but I'm pretty sure that recruiter is juggling an awful lot of things right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, twice a month to ping isn't a bad thing, and I would also – even go back to her other contact and say, hey, I'm, I'm still talking with the recruiter and, and thanks a lot and any other th- insights you have would be great. That one I would only do about once a month. Okay. Deborah, there you go. So you sound like you have a great opportunity on the horizon. Thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And for more great advice delivered right to your inbox, dawnoncareers.com. So we're going to go to Les. Les, welcome to the show. Hey, Don. Hi, Les. Uh, I'm calling for my wife again. She's going to love me for this one. <laughs> for her birth- Sorry. That's for awesome. For her birthday, I'd like to get her a career coach. Okay. I love that idea. A cool idea. I well, love that idea, but it's hard to wrap. Well, she, she's, in, she's, in the energy, <laughs> she's in energy manufacturing, and, her, and she's been you know, all the layoffs. She just had lots of responsibilities piled on her. And her company just recently bought another company that is expert in the product lines she supports. And that company is already, it's not following the rules of the mother company as far as purchasing. And uh, the, the smaller company has already started shutting down plants in other locations. And I'm just concerned that, you know, either she's going to get laid off or she's going to go postal on her boss. 
Okay, well, and, well, hopefully neither of those things happen, especially yeah. the second one. But but you bring up a good question, Les, because we were talking about this earlier in the show, and we we're going to loop back, but the phone lines went crazy, so so we didn't get a chance to loop back to this. But but Mike, we we're going to talk about this exact question: How will I know if I should hire a career coach, and then how do I know which one is going to be a good fit? How do I even find one? So so Mike, maybe the first step is because you are an executive recruiter, is kind of defining career coach versus what you do versus. Um, you know, what, what internal recruiters do? So it's a great question. And the, uh, an internal recruiter uh, is, really, is really focused on hiring for the company, um, where an external recruiter, I'm, I'm going to include career coach in this too, an external recruiter is somebody who is who's really very transactional. They are filling a position to fill a position. And a lot of times um, I've seen people fall into the trap of saying, okay, well, this person, I'll talk to them about my career plans. They're not going to go deep. They're they're there to they're there to fill a position and get a significant commission check for that. Um, I recommend if you're looking for a career coach um, that you look at, for example, the International Coaching Federation has a huge base of people that you can look at. I would definitely find somebody who's been certified, has been through a coaching program. Uh, I think those are. Are, are absolutely the the baseline, um, and I'd find somebody that, and you can find these people through LinkedIn, by the way. Um, I'd find somebody that that has been in the trenches. In other words, it's not somebody that that you know has kind of been off in the off in the corner, maybe doing um, doing non related work, but they've they've either been an HR, they've been a recruiter, uh, or they've even been a, a business person in the space your wife wants to be in. Mm-hmm. And Does there's that help? That help? yeah, there's a lot of other organizations too. The National Career Development Association, yep. and and I'm gonna I, something we talked about, Mike, yesterday when we were chatting. Um, one of the the types of people who make a great career coach are ex recruiters that we were yeah. talking, and and I think that's so true because we've been on the other side of the desk and we know what's going on in the mind of the hires. We know kind of the the things that are going on in HR and the things we're looking for. So I mean, I think somebody who has that background is a great choice. And I'm going to I'm going to challenge I I think the um International Coaching Federation is a great organization and one that certifies people, but a lot of people kind of um here's the deal. Here's what I would just say flat out. I don't think a certification makes you a great career coach and I don't think a lack of one makes you a poor career coach. And and so I think you need to dig a little deeper and and like Mike said, you need to find somebody in your exact industry, probably not, but you need to find somebody who has worked with your specific challenge. So if that's maybe being a career switcher, you want to find somebody who understands the need to rebrand, the need to 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 change the message. If you're in um, a, you know, a particularly difficult industry like finance and, and you have things like case prep and other kind of specialized things you need to do to get the job, you need somebody who's worked with that. And most coaches, and I would venture to say all good coaches, will give you a free consultation, 15, 30 minutes, to just make sure it's a good fit, make sure that that even the practical things work out for you, meaning like time of day and, and the packages. Some coaches have packages that are like you have to buy three months worth of, of coaching services and this is how much it is. Others will do hourly. So if you just need a resume or you just need, you know, or you, your budget will only allow. So in terms of price, because this comes up a lot, the price can vary. But what I would say is that... Um, you know, if if it's an hourly rate, I mean, you're talking about anywhere from a hundred to four hundred dollars an hour. 
in general depends on their level of experience and um, you know how long they've been doing it and that type of thing. But here's the thing: you should never expect somebody to guarantee you a job. No one can guarantee absolutely you a job. Any other kind of um, kind of watchouts? Mike, when you're hiring a career coach, because I know there's a ton of great ones out there. Actually, I have a referral site right on my my Dawn on Careers website if anybody wants to take a look at at some great coaches that I've worked with. Um, But but yeah, the National Career Development Association, ICF, um, there's a lot of great places where you can find coaches, but it's important they match your needs and your style and your timeframes and your budget. I, I think the, the the closing point I'd make, and Don, I again, I'm not only nodding my head, I'm fist pumping everything you were just saying. Awesome. Uh, is the you want to make sure that they can give you an outline of what their services are. You know, I will help you here, here, and here. But they're going to do that after they've listened to you, your wife, talk for half an hour. You know that they really have a clear picture, and that what what a what a good coach does is that they're not going to they're going to help you build a model that your wife can execute on again and again and again. It shouldn't be a one-time thing. Um, and that's that's a lot of my practice is built around, okay, I want to work together so that the next time you do a career change, it's easier. And, and that's really the goal of this is to identify uh, an action plan, work with your wife, iterate it so that if things change, uh, you do. But a coach should not be there for six or eight or ten months. I mean, this should be something that a good career coach comes in, helps take the pieces that are need to be massaged and built and then um, new job. And then you're checking in a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Les, good luck to you and your wife. Thank you so much for giving Career Talk a call again. 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. If you are on hold, we are going to get to you in just a moment. But I think we need to answer our pre-break quiz. All right, 50% of people admit they regularly do this at the movie theater Dion, what's the answer? Talk back to the screen. Talk back to the screen. Good answer. That is a good answer. That I've not done. That I've not done. That is not the answer. <laughs> I have done that, so I completely wait, understand. Wait, which movie? Which movie? I totally do that. Talk back to the screen. And I nod heavily. Like, if I'm, I get made fun of because as I'm watching TV or movies, I'm constantly nodding my head or shaking my head no. Like, whatever it is they're talking about, I'm agreeing or disagreeing. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Michelle, was that She's your answer? Invested. My answer is going to be um, we were going to go to the movies this weekend and we mm-hmm. talked about this um, yes. sneaking in snacks. That's right. Woohoo! <laughs> Sneaking in snacks. And obviously this is this is kind of become a necessity because of the high price of food in movie theaters. Regal Cinemas charges 6.50 for a small popcorn, which is 19 times its wholesale cost of 35 cents. The best deal at the movie theater is the candy because it's only marked up Four times. So I did a little research on the weirdest foods people have snuck in um, and came up with watermelon, uh, which seems quite messy. Wait, like a whole watermelon? Or yes, was it, a whole or watermelon. Was it no, no, up. no. It was Just, not cut up. So it cut up true. in the theater. I, I don't know if it's <laughs> true. Not, it's funnier <laughs> that way. It was online, so Just it must pretend be you're Prego. Put it under your <laughs> That's shirt. That's what they did. That's exactly what they did. That's amazing. Um, so I guess, you know, no one's going to bug you about that. Crab legs? Again, messy. Oh, and the messy. smell. Yeah, like I, you know, I'm not seeing that. And then kale, which is just weird because. Why? I, I, yeah, why? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I like a good kale salad, but the movie theater is for, you know, 
for fun I'm food. Trying to, I'm trying to imagine sitting next to the person breaking crab legs, but that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully, it wasn't a crowded <laughs> movie theater. So, all right. So, Dion, what's what's the weirdest thing you've ever snuck in? Oh, um, I actually snuck in candy that was probably already there. Yeah, so like the M&M's. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. That can't be the weirdest thing. Come on, what's the weirdest thing? I, I mean, I've 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 snuck in like um, fast food, like Wendy's. Yeah, okay. Just, just, just the whole Wendy's <laughs> yeah. meal. I'd be mad at you too. I don't want all that smell in my face when I'm trying to watch a movie. Well, that's because you'd be jealous. You're like, I want, exactly. I want some French fries. <laughs> yes, that is very true. That's. Ex- what about you, Michelle? Pa- pass me a crab. Plate. Yeah. <laughs> this is not. I haven't snuck in anything weird. I'm not taking like outside hot dogs into the theater but i have um the hardest thing for me to sneak in was a coffee because i used to go to this theater that wouldn't even let like you bring your starbucks in i don't even know i guess that's all theaters maybe yeah i wouldn't let you bring your starbucks in wawa yeah starbucks no (laughs) (laughs) excuse me corporate america how dare (laughs) i um whatever coffee of your choice i had to sneak it into my so you know you have your bag we carry these big bags now which is you know, a blessing because yes. we can put everything in there. And so I had to like balance my coffee so it didn't spill all over the place. Okay. But in your bag. In my bag because that would have been really bad. All right. Mike, Mike, what's the weirdest thing you've ever snuck in? You know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bland, but I would say I snuck in a big bag of uh, potato chips once. And trying not to get them to break and open up was, was probably the biggest adventure with that. Yeah, because guys don't have the benefit of, like, you know, the big bag that, that you don't. know. So, so how did you, know. you do that, Mike? <laughs> your God, you got us curious. It was tucked in the side of the shirt, and, you know, you're kind of walking real funny as you're walking. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I do always, like, every time I take it out, like, when the movie, I wait for the lights to go off, first of all, because mm-hmm. I feel guilty. And I just feel like they're going to investigate for some reason, which is so stupid. I know nobody that's actually working in nobody theater cares. But I feel really guilty and I have to like sneak it out. And if I have a package that makes a noise that they don't sell, I'll be like, oh, this is going to be obvious. I have to figure this out. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. When do we start selling crab legs? And (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Hey, so we're going to go to Julie in Illinois. Julie, welcome to Career Talk. Thanks for, for waiting. What's on your mind today? Well, hi, Don. Uh, uh, full confession, my my biggest sneak into the theater was gin and tonic. <laughs> yes, I, nice. I, I like Julie. Julie, welcome <laughs> to the show. Come hang out with You're us. You're our people. <laughs> well, for me and for my girlfriend who I was meeting over there. So, um, you can uh, come so see that- it with Michelle and I this weekend. Yes. We're, <laughs> we're very inspired. <laughs> uh, here's my question. So I'm, I'm 53. I have, I have, I opened a small business um, about 10 years ago, um, and now I'm interested in transitioning, transitioning back into traditional work. Um, I, I, I got an MBA when I was around 30. So I'm just, I'm, I, I have looked into working with a job coach. So I was curious about that. And then, you know, how, how difficult is it going to be for me? I, I hear you know, I see online and I read inspirational stories, but then I also meet with other folks um, in, you know, north of, north of 50 who, who really have trouble finding a job. Yep. So, so this is a really good question. Um, two levels. So, one, you're you're bringing up the the pot- potential of age bias, and two, you're bringing up the moving into back into the the corporate workforce, or the you know after being a small business owner. So, um, Mike, as we're as we're thinking about Julie, because I think this situation is pretty common as a recruiter. 
uh, looking at somebody with Julie's background as a small business owner looking to get it back into corporate, what are some of those things you're going to look for? I'm going to look for Julie being able to tell me she's done everything. She's done everything. (laughs) Well, think about it this way. And, you know, Don, you know I I had a small business for a number of years. Yes. Um, And the biggest thing is, Julie, you've done your books. You've done your marketing. You've done your sales. You've done your operations. You you have a great story to tell. And I think that's actually part of career coaching is being able to tell that story. Um, But I love hiring people that have had small businesses because they're usually extremely flexible. They've been there, done that. Uh, I don't know. Can you hear my voice? How much I? <laughs> um, it's it's it, people people that have run their own business have had to deal with curveballs, and they there wasn't a lot of people around to help them fix it when that curveball came in. And oh my gosh, what do I do? Well, I got to go do something. That's you're not going to freeze up in a tough situation. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of that. And to me, it's a matter more of just telling your story uh, around points like that. The second thing about your age. So full disclosure, I turned 60 in December, shock and awe. I work right now at an amazing startup where I'm, I'm assisting them in growing. The two founders are 30. So, and I, I have a tremendous relationship with these guys. They will tell you, and you're hearing more and more of this, that you know what? They brought me in not only to help build the organization out, but to also be their, their coach. And Mike, we're going to have to, we're going to have to cut you off on that. Cause we're, we're coming up on, on ending the show, but I do want to tag on your first point, Julie, Mike coach.com. That's where you want to go to get in touch with Mike because he, he's going to, uh, he's going to be the man who gives you the information you need to get to your next job. Thank you so much for calling. And Mike, I'm so sorry to have to cut you off because I know that everything you were going to just say is going to be awesome. That was Dion, by the way. Um, <laughs> that was. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Mike. We love having you, Michelle and Dion. You guys rock. And thank you for listening to Career Talk. All of our listeners and callers, you guys are what make the show awesome. If you want more great advice, at Dr. Don Graham on Twitter. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111, and we will see you next time.